I will, I will mention to Doug about not making people feel old during the service. <laughs> Just the best practices thing. I want to keep people here, not run them off. So that's good. Well, good morning. Are y'all officially in the Christmas spirit? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'm not so much into Christmas cheer. I'm into Christmas jeer. Um, but we're going to go with cheer this morning. We are starting a, a new series this morning called Christmas Characters. Christmas Characters. Um, and I want to focus on uh, the nativity scene about who is actually missing from that scene. You guys know we have a classic nativity scene. You got Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. You usually have shepherds. You have wise men. You have all sorts of of livestock, right? You got an angel overhead and all that good stuff. Um, And so, you know, I I, I wanted to go a little bit deeper into it. Thank you. And I wanted to uh, see uh, who was responsible in part in making sure that the nativity scene, the birth of Christ, the coming Messiah, happened, but we don't necessarily celebrate them every year. Okay, So we're going to be talking about some of the lesser-known Christmas characters in this series all the way through December 25th, which, again, I do encourage you to come on Christmas Day. We are going to have... Um, Service at 11, only one service, uh, and so you can open up presents that morning with bedhead, uh, and then wash the bedhead out, come and worship the Lord on his birthday. I think that's super cool. So, you know, everything was not perfect. Everything was not perfect in the manger scene. I mean, it looks like all those porcelain figurines. And, you know, we, some of our, the songs that we sing, like in Away in a Manger, it actually says, No Crying He Makes. Someone who had never had a baby wrote that lyric, right? Jesus was a full-on human baby, and let me tell you this, they cry, all right? They cry, they mess up their diapers, they do all sorts of stuff, okay? And so, um, so Jesus was fully man. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't the perfect porcelain, wonderful figurine set that we always think it is. It's, it's the Christmas story is actually really messy, it's really messy. It's really out of the box. It's really not what we would typically think if God himself were coming to earth. So this morning, we're going to talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, I'm going to be looking uh, for this series. We're going to be using the, the book of Luke. Um, Luke, and you can make your way there. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to have the scripture up behind me. This morning, so because we have a long passage to read, but I, I do just want to read this, and it's not on the overhead. Uh, Luke one starts out this way: it says many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account for you, most honorable Theophilus. So you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. And so Luke basically has been commissioned to to do a historical expose of the life of Jesus. All right? So this, he, he interviews people. 
he, he reads other manuscripts and he goes through and he determines what's right and wrong and he gives a careful, detailed um, investigation of the life of Jesus. And you may or may not know this, but there were two volumes to Luke. We call the second volume Acts. He wrote the Acts of the Apostles as well. And so what's really cool about both Luke and Acts is that they're so detailed. And they throw in little details that some of the other Gospels don't. uh, Which is so cool because in a time where the Gospel is so under fire these days. And you know, I have friends that are like, yeah, the Gospels were just written by men. Look, if you were trying to fake a Gospel, you wouldn't put in all these details that could be objectively made true or false. Right? And so you're going to find, as we read this, he names kings that were in power. He, he names um, all sorts of details that verify the story of Jesus. So we're going to pick up this morning. I'm going to kind of read along and then stop and kind of explain some of the stuff. But we're going to talk about Zechariah and Elizabeth. So if you'll read along with me, starting at verse 5. It says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Okay, first of all. When Herod was king of Judea. Let me just say that you probably don't know a whole lot about Herod. Herod was known as Herod the Great. One really cool thing about the Romans and the Jews is they kept meticulous records. And so we actually know a lot about Herod the Great outside of the Bible. And Herod the Great was two things, if anything. First of all, he was incredibly brilliant. He was a master builder. Okay, He built immaculate, amazing palaces and buildings. He was known for building incredible things. He would import sand from Egypt and he would, he would come up with new technologies of how to get water up to the building sites. It was amazing. So he, he, really, was, uh, he really was a, a genius and brilliant. The other thing that Herod was is he was maniacally evil. He was a terrible, terrible, terrible person. Awful individual. He actually killed his wife and killed two of his sons just out of spite. He was known, uh, he actually had a specific, and you can read all about this. You can just, the Roman antiquities about Herod the Great. He actually had a pool that he built at one of his many palaces where he would invite people to, to kill them. Because people were getting mad that he was killing everyone so openly. So he would, you know, they would, he just happened to invite a bunch of people who couldn't swim well. To his house. I mean, this guy was murderous, treacherous. He was awful. I mean, whether you think the 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 the, the exiting president was terrible or the oncoming president is terrible, this guy was a thousand times worse. This was so. When it says when Herod was king of Judea, we start out the story. You need to understand it was a dark and stormy night. Like that's the beginning of this story. Like it like it was a terrible season. For the Jews. They lived in fear. Under Herod's reign, people would be drug out of churches. You never knew when something bad was going to happen. When a terrorist, they didn't have bombs back then, but when they would do stuff and kill people randomly. So this was a terrible, terrible time in the history of the Jews. Besides the fact that it had been 400 years since God had spoken to the Jewish people through a prophet. 400 years, 400 years of silence. The United States has existed for 240 years. Just 
by comparison. 400 years. God said nothing. God said nothing during that time period. So, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they both were very old. A couple of things here. So Zechariah was a priest, which honestly was not that big of a deal. There were, there were thousands and thousands of priests because they came from a certain lineage. Okay, All the Levites were priests. And so there were, there were many different um, orders. And he was from Abijah, which was kind of a no big deal order. Okay, He was the priest of a really, really small town synagogue, probably 20 to 50 people, maybe 75 people. Okay, um, and, and, and so these communities that you hear about, like Nazareth and, and Capernaum and, and all, all those areas, they were really small. They were really small. I mean, they were around, you know, maybe 500 to 1,000 people. Um, Jerusalem, though, the massive, huge city was like 100,000 people, which to us, that's like eh, 100,000 is not that much. But back then, that was massive. It was huge. And so he's he's... It's his turn. So this is what would happen. You had all these different orders, right? Here's the order of Abijah. They would take turns going to Jerusalem to fulfill the priestly duties. But there'd be tons of them, hundreds of priests in the order of Abijah. So what they did is they would cast lots um, for, uh, for who got to actually go in to the holy place. Not the holiest of holies, only the high priest could do that. But into the holy place and offer incense and prayers and conduct the service. Many people never got the chance to do that. Because there were so many priests available. Okay, So it, it was his turn, it was his turn um, to, to go up there. Uh, Elizabeth was also of uh, a priestly uh, family as well. They were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. Now, that's huge. Have you read all the ordinances and regulations in the Old Testament? There's a lot. There is a lot of them. And for the, for the Bible to declare, for Luke, um, who's being historically accurate, to declare this couple righteous in the eyes of God and careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. That is a big deal. But then we find something else out. They don't have any children. They don't have any children as Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And at this point, they're old. They've gotten past conception age. Now, a couple things. In the Jewish culture, um, and, and Jesus corrects this later in some of his teaching. In the Jewish culture, if a woman was unable to conceive, it was assumed that she had some sort of secret sin. It was assumed that she had done something wrong. If she hadn't done something wrong, then surely her parents had done something wrong. And she had somehow earned that disgrace of not being able to have children. Again, we know that's not true, but at the time, in the culture, the Hebrew culture, that's the way they thought. And to make matters worse, not only had they conceived, but they were past the age of conception. It says they were very old. The, the, the Greek word there, I, I'm, most scholars guess that they were probably around age 60 or so, 
around age 60, okay? They weren't very old. They weren't like the, the upper echelon, but they were, they were getting up there in age. Basically, they were getting the AARP magazine at home. <laughs> you get the AARP? Yeah. I mean, as soon, like you hit 54 and a half, man, that thing arrives. They are ready to get you signed up, okay? So... That's, that's the age they're at. They're, still, they're, they're in the twilight of their years. I mean, they're beginning to, to kind of ramp down. He's probably thinking of an exit plan, right, from, from his priestly duties. So anyway, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple. So again, he's, he's in Jerusalem. His order was on duty for that week, as was the custom of the priest. He was chosen by lot, kind of like modern-day dice. They would kind of roll the dice to see who it fell to. And Zechariah, his number came up, which was like a, a huge deal. Again, many priests never got the opportunity their entire lives. And once you got the opportunity to serve as priest, that was it. You didn't get to do it again. So he was chosen to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. So at the temple, there was you know, the outside areas, there's the inner courts, there's the holy place, and there's the holy of holies. So the people were, were in the inner courts, and they were praying, and they were kneeling, and, and, and they were doing their religious duty, while Zechariah went into the holy place where only the priests could go, and offered incense, and said a prayer, and did different things, okay? You with me? Um, and so it, it didn't take that long, and then he's supposed to come out, maybe lead them in a song, maybe say a final prayer, and then, okay, you're, you're, you're done, right? Well, verse 11, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared, appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, God has heard your prayer. I think it's hilarious that every single angel appearance in the Bible, they always are like, don't be afraid. You know why? It was really scary. I, I kind of wonder sometimes when people are like, oh, yeah, I saw an angel. I'm like, I don't think you did. I don't see any stains on your pants. Like, I, like it was scary. It was really scary. I mean, every single time an angel shows up, it's like, don't freak out, all right? Don't be afraid. And you, and you hear like the shepherds were sorely afraid because we grew up with that King James, you know, uh, verbiage in, in our heads. It's sorely afraid. What is, it means they were freaking out. They were like, whoa! Ah! I mean, you know what I mean? That's, that's what's happening. So he's like, hey, don't freak out. Don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. Let me ask you a question. What prayer? Now, most people would think to have a kid. And that's what I thought until this week when I started studying. How many of you who are maybe close to 60, past childbearing years, are continuing to pray for a child? You're probably praying against, dear Lord Jesus, please, don't let there be an accident. Right? Think about that. Think about that. Now, they had prayed their entire lives for a child, yeah, but at this point in time, I don't really think they're praying for a child. But you know what I think Zechariah was praying for? Where was he? He was in the holy place. He was, he was doing incense, which is symbolic of the prayers of the saints. What were they praying for? What was all of Israel crying out for? What, what did they want? It had been 400 years since God had spoken at all. What were they wanting? They were wanting a Messiah. 
They were wanting a Messiah. And so God says, I've heard your prayer. Then he continues, your wife Elizabeth will give you a son and you're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. That's pretty crazy. Filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Especially the fact that that at this point in time, the Holy Spirit only came upon people for certain tasks. He wasn't available to everyone. He was still behind the curtain in the Holy of Holies. He was still there with the Ark of the Covenant. Right? And, and so the Holy Spirit didn't just, like, we just felt his presence during, during worship this morning. It wasn't like that back then. Right? So the promise is that he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that he says he shouldn't drink wine or alcoholic beverages? Yet Jesus drank wine. Why? Different ministries. John the Baptist came as a solemn reminder of our need for repentance. And Jesus came to celebrate the new covenant. So, he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. Verse 17, he will be a man of the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn, their heart, turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now, you need to know something, and Zechariah would know this as soon as the angel said this. In Malachi 4, the very last thing in the Old Testament, I encourage you to look it up. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, the last word spoken before 400 years of silence was that Elijah was coming again, and he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons. So what does the angel say here? It says, he will be a man of the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons. So he's saying the, the child you and Elizabeth are about to have, okay, are, are, is going to be the, the precursor, the pre-runner, the forerunner to the Messiah. And Zechariah knew that because he knew the scripture. He was a priest. And he'd been praying prayers for the coming Messiah his entire life. Okay? Then it gets kind of funny. So Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. See, Zechariah was a smart man. He knew not to call his wife old. She was well along in years. Good job. He's like, I know she's got a camera in here somewhere. (laughs) Then the angel said, I'm Gabriel. (laughs) I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. In other words, what's Zechariah saying? That's all great. I'm going to have, in my old age, my wife can't have kids either. She never has been able to. In in our old age, we're going to have somehow the forerunner, the one that prepares the way for the Messiah. I hear you, but how can I know for sure? In other words, give me a sign. And Gabriel was like, here's your sign. Shut up. (laughs) Because if God promises something, you can count on it. 
You can take it to the bank. It's going to happen, not because of you, but because of him. But because of him. Meanwhile, <laughs> people's knees are starting to hurt. All this is going on. He's supposed to be, what's that, what's that dude from that little town doing? Ah, come on, we've got stuff to do, <laughs> Right? They're all sitting there waiting. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he's taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. The angel said, all right, shut up. And they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary, which he didn't. He saw an angel. But they realized something significant happened, right? The ultimate game of charades happened that morning. They're like, ah, ah, whoa, ah, ah, hmm. right? It was just, and they're like, I think something happened back there. You think? I think it did too. I think it did too. You win. Verse, all week he was like this. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. Now, um, Went into seclusion. That kind of sounds like you're hiding in fear. It was actually an act of worship. It was kind of like fasting people. I mean, she, 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 she locked herself in her home. Why? So she could worship the Lord. Look at verse 25. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace. That word means reproach or shame of having no children. See, remember, see, again, in this culture, a childless woman would have been made fun of, talked about behind her back. People would have assumed that she's, there's something wrong with her. I know, look, I know she comes from that priestly line. I know she's married to that guy, but she's doing something or else she would have a kid. And she hears those whispers and she knows and she's still faithful and she still does the right thing in spite of that. So she's rejoicing. He's taken away my disgrace. The rest of the story, we won't go over it for, for time's sake. When she is around six months along, when Elizabeth's around six months along, that's when Gabriel has another journey he makes, and he talks to Mary. And, and he tells uh, Mary and Joseph about what's happening. Mary goes and visits her. And I encourage you to read this. It says that when, when Mary walks in the room and blesses her, John leaps inside of her womb, and Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit. She has a Holy Ghost hoedown, y'all. Like, she starts singing in the Spirit, prophesying in song, leaping, and and read it for yourself, and crying out. I mean, y'all, if she did that, what she did in the Bible, if she did it during our service, y'all would be like, well, I, you know, I just, is it God or is it the flesh? I mean, she, like, just totally just rejoiced in the spirit. And then finally, John's born and you didn't name the child until they were circumcised. So he's circumcised and they say, all right, it's going to be Zechariah Jr., right? And Zechariah's like, oh no, he motions for a writing tablet and writes down, name that kid John, because <laughs> he has learned his lesson, Right? And as soon as they say, okay, it's John, he can talk. What does he do? He, he sings a prophetic song right there. And thanking the Lord. It's, it's pretty amazing. He gets his speech back. It's really cool. What can we learn from this story? See, see, without this, this was necessary. The nativity scene that we grew up with, the, 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 the Messiah, this was necessary. 
It was prophesied long before, hundreds and hundreds of years before, that before the coming Messiah, that there would be a forerunner, there would be John the Baptist. And later Jesus said that there is no one greater in the old covenant than John the Baptist. He's the ultimate. He's the ultimate. So what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this? Well, first of all, you know, God is moving even when we don't see it. God is moving despite your heartache. God is moving even when you don't see any any results, any evidence. And you've been praying, and you've been praying, and you've been praying. And it seems like God is silent, but he's not silent. He is working. See, the 400 years of silence between Malachi... And Zechariah's experience, it wasn't silence, it was preparation. It was preparation. Many of the times, we, what we perceive as silence from God is not silence. You know, God answers every prayer. He answers every prayer. He either says yes, or he says no, or he says later. But he does answer every single prayer. Scripture says that God doesn't sleep. You know, he, he, he built us that we, we, we require rest. But, but he doesn't require rest. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He always answers prayers. He's always moving. Look, don't think that just because the world looks so dark right now that God isn't moving. He is moving. He is moving. And sometimes it gets just when it gets really, really, really dark is when we begin to see the most light. Just as what happened here. So don't think that God's not moving. He is moving even when we don't see it. Here's the other thing. God is moving even when we don't deserve it. Right? I mean, I love Zechariah, big old mouth Zechariah. He screwed up his response. If an angel ever comes to you, and promises you something, say, okay, cool, yes. All right? I don't encourage you to ask for a sign. You just saw an angel, that's the sign. Okay? Just don't, don't say I never told you. God is moving even when we don't deserve it. Look, it would have been easy to say, oh, you don't believe me? Okay, cool, I'll go find someone else. That's how we might do, right? That's not how God is. He's a good father. He's a good father. God uses imperfect people to achieve his perfect will. He never promises you that you'll be perfect, but he always promises that his will will be perfect for you. Third thing, God takes away our disgrace. God takes away our disgrace. Now, again, the word here means reproach. It means shame. God will rewrite your story. And your story, for some of us, you know, your story doesn't look the way you thought it would. You didn't think you'd get divorced. You just didn't think that was going to happen. That was for the other people. You didn't think that was going to happen to a child. You didn't think you were going to end up in this, in this career path. You, you thought you were going to do something else. But the reproach and the shame that says that you aren't worthy God has removed that, and he's declared that you are worthy. You are worthy. He takes away your disgrace. He will rewrite 
your story. The mistakes behind you aren't as strong as the God inside you. He can and will change what's going on in your life for his glory and according to his will. And so I just want to encourage you as we kick off this series and we're looking at some of the lesser known characters in the Christmas story. Look, God is not done with you. Look, for all intents and purposes, if you would have just read about Zechariah and Elizabeth, you'd be like, okay, well, there, I mean, good life, didn't get what they wanted. Small town priest, no big deal. God is still moving. And my question to you this morning is, in what area of your life do you want God to move? Is there an area that you've stopped believing for? Look, sometimes God says no. But sometimes God says later. And, and, and we, we shouldn't mistake the later for the no. We should continue seeking, continue praying, continue trusting that God is moving. Amen? Let's stand for prayer.